Christ Church, New Malden, Sunday the 2nd of April 2023, 11 o'clock service. David Taylor speaking in the series, Parables in Luke, The Persistent Widow. We've been looking at various parables in Luke's Gospel over the last few weeks, all of them with surprises in the story. So first we had the son who wasted his father's entire estate on loose living, and yet is welcomed back unreservedly by the father. And then we had the cunning steward who is sacked for mismanaging his master's estate and deliberately mismanages it even more in order to make friends with the people who owed him money. And then we had the very rich man and the very poor man and how after their deaths, their situations were reversed. And now we come to the parable of the persistent widow and the unjust judge. You would expect the point of the parable to be that judges should judge fairly. After all, there's that psalm of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32 from which we sing a well-known hymn. Praise God, how great is he. His work is perfect and all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. And in the opening chapter of Deuteronomy, Moses instructs the leaders of the tribes of Israel. He says this, listen to your people's cases when they argue with one another. Judge them fairly. When you judge them, treat everyone the same. Listen to those who are important and those who are not. Don't be afraid of any man. God is the highest judge. But our story opens, in a certain town there was a judge, he didn't have any respect for God or care about people. Uh, how's the story going to develop from here? Well, you might think it to be a repeat of the story of Dives and Lazarus. And we see what happens in the afterlife to a judge who has no respect for God nor cares about the people. If he feared God, he would know that he would one day himself be judged. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in this earthly body, whether good or ill. That's Paul writing in 2 Corinthians. But no, the emphasis is not on the unscrupulous judge, but on the persistent importunity of a poor widow. Now, I think we need to see how justice was carried out 2,000 years ago. There was no police force to take up our case. So if somebody had stolen from you, it was you who had to bring the charge. You effectively have a situation not too unlike this, which took place 1,500 years later at Hampton Court Palace, just as a minister was leaving a meeting. Moore was the kind of judge who had no respect for God nor cared about people. He repeatedly tells people, I'll give your daughter a fair trial. I'll read it. I'll read it. As petition after petition is put into his hands. 
But you can see from this how easy it would be not to give a fair trial and to be persuaded by all the bribes which are proffered to you. And in many parts of the world, corruption is a massive problem. I heard someone who works in the developing world saying on Premier Christian Radio that it is a massive cancer in large numbers of countries around the world. I was reading this written by someone from the Philippines. Rooted in the misery of poverty and corruption, Filipinos resiliently long for a reversal of this. I gather that for people who have passed their driving test in certain countries, their driving licenses are not valid in Britain because it's likely to have been gained by paying a bribe. Equally, in some countries, exams can be passed by paying your teacher. But the person in our story is not able to pay a bribe. She's a poor widow and can't afford it, not even baked apples to sweeten the man's judgment, as was offered to Thomas More as he walked along that corridor. So she has to recourse to another tactic, which is to make such a nuisance of herself that the judge has no option but to grant her request in order to shut her up. A few weeks ago, I was at Kingston Hospital to book a blood test. I thought that I would go quite late in the afternoon when hopefully the queues had died down and hopefully I'd be able to book an appointment straight away and maybe even get the blood test taken there and then. Sure enough, there was just one person ahead of me in the queue. Good news, or so I thought. However, this lady was determined that she wanted to book an appointment and have the blood test done all at the same time. The person at reception explained that this wasn't possible. But I've travelled a long way to come here. It really would be inconvenient to have to come back. But I need this blood test urgently before I go abroad. No, I can't do tomorrow. I'm busy. It wouldn't be possible to come back then. Are you sure there are no vacancies? And so this persistent lady went on and on, but the receptionist was having none of it, and eventually the lady did agree to book an appointment for the following day. The difference in our story here is that the persistence of the widow did eventually pay off, and Jesus had already explained the point of the parable. Jesus told his disciples a story. He wanted to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So, it's the point of the parable to show us that we can trust God's, twist God's arm, so to speak, if we keep on badgering him with our request. After all, this is how many people see prayer. The widow came to the judge again and again. She kept begging him, put things right for me. And this is how many people approach God, hoping to wear him out with their intercessions. But Jesus gives the story a twist here. Instead of likening our prayers to those of the widow, he contrasts it. God's chosen people cry out to him day and night. Won't God put things right for them? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, God will see that things are put right for them. He will make sure it happens quickly. 
At the heart of our calling as disciples of Jesus is to be like the widow, to bring the injustices of the world before the throne of this one righteous, loving and powerful God. And God will hear quickly. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and look to me and turn from their evil ways, then I will listen to them from heaven. I will forgive their sins and heal their land. That was the Lord speaking as Solomon dedicated the temple to him. In that famous Psalm 110, which Jesus quoted so much, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. The Lord will make your royal authority spread out from Zion to other lands. You will rule over your enemies who are all around you. God shows up at the prayer meeting. His working is always preceded by prayer. On the morning of Pentecost, when God showed up in power, the church was praying. A few days later, when Peter and John were set free from the Sanhedrin, having healed a disabled beggar, it says, when the believers heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, and their prayers ended, stretch out your hand to heal, do miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were bold when they spoke God's word. When an angel helps Peter escape from prison in the night, Peter goes to Mary's house, the mother of John Mark. It says, many people had gathered in her home. They were praying there. Peter knocked at the outer entrance. And we all know the amusing story of how Rhoda, the servant girl, had difficulty persuading those praying that Peter really was at the door. And then later in the church of Antioch, it was while they were fasting and worshipping the Lord that the Holy Spirit spoke, set apart Barnabas and Saul for me. I have appointed them to do a special work. So it's as a result of the church's prayers that God moves. Like the widow in our story, persisting in prayer and not giving up, praying that God would bring justice to our world and quickly. One of the things that the new head teacher at Christ Church Primary School instigated recently was a termly prayer meeting for the school for an hour during the evening to which anyone who wanted to pray for the school could attend. Oh, what a fantastic idea. There was no compulsion to come. Indeed, if people had felt obligated to attend, it would have killed the meeting stone dead. It was those who longed to see God moving in the school who were there. Let's see how God will move in response to those prayers. I wonder whether we should instigate something similar in prayer for our church, for our town, for our nation, and for our world. Years ago, we used to have a fortnightly prayer meeting on Wednesday evenings in the lounge. It then became a monthly prayer meeting. And as attendance dwindled, it eventually stopped altogether. Now, I don't think we're the only church in the country where it's difficult to persuade people to attend the midweek prayer meeting. If we turn out to the prayer meeting out of a sense of duty, nothing much is going to happen. But if 
Like the widow in our parable, we have an urgency about meeting with God before the throne of grace and seeing change happen, then will we not see God act? Jesus ended this parable by saying, God's chosen people cry out to him day and night. Won't he put things right for them? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, God will see that things are put right for them. He will make sure that it happens quickly. So how about for those who want it? A one-hour prayer meeting, say, once a month? And see how it oils the machinery of all that we do in church? We see from those examples in the book of Acts of the Apostles how God's working is preceded by prayer. We're going before the supreme judge with our petitions. And will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Now this parable isn't the only place in the Gospels where Jesus urges us to press on, seeking to know him with an all-consuming passion. Earlier in Luke's Gospel, it tells the story of the visitor who goes to his friend at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. The man inside says that he's in bed and can't get up. And Jesus ends the story, because this man keeps on asking, he will get up. He will give him as much bread as he needs. A story very similar in message to what we're looking at today. Blind Bartimaeus reacts in much the same way when Jesus passes by. The blind man called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way commanded him to stop. They told him to be quiet. But he shouted even louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heals him of his blindness. Now this wouldn't have happened if Bartimaeus had not persisted more and more urgently. And then there's the Canaanite woman who cries out to Jesus, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. A demon controls my daughter. She is suffering terribly. Jesus at first takes no notice. And the disciples say to him, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. Jesus appears to agree with them, saying that he was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. But this only increases the Canaanites' woman urgency and persistence. And Jesus commends her great faith and heals her daughter. No one could go on. There's the Magi bringing the precious gifts to the baby Jesus and prepared to undertake a difficult and dangerous journey in order to have their encounter with the Christ child. It would have been all too easy for them to give up. Too difficult. And what would the world have lost if they had just turned around and gone home? And there's Nicodemus, prepared to make a journey by night to see Jesus. Remember, there's no cars or streetlights. It would be a dangerous thing to do. And it's quite likely that Jesus would be asleep when he arrives and not want to meet him, just like in that parable of the man wanting bread at midnight. But Nicodemus was determined to have his questions answered. There's the two disciples on the road to Emmaus who nearly let Jesus walk past at the end of their discussion with him. 
and they would have missed an extraordinary encounter with the risen Christ if they had let him just walk past. And then there's Jesus walking on the water of the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night. The disciples were terrified and Jesus made as if he was about to walk past the boat. They cried out and Jesus got into the boat. If Jesus had continued to walk past, what would the disciples have missed? They needed to cry out to him. And we need to cry out with urgency to God. Tom Wright says this, it's as though God withdraws in order to say by implication, please come looking for me a bit further. Tom Wright goes on, there's that lovely verse in the Psalms which says, my heart has talked of you, seek my face. Thy face, Lord, will I seek. It's not that God is there on tap. There is a seeking. And that waiting is like someone who has come to see somebody else and has knocked on the door, but is waiting for a response. And sometimes you have to wait a long time. Well, that's Tom Wright's helpful reflection. So, let's be persistent in prayer, not giving up. Jeremiah tells us, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And the writer of the Hebrews says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Then we will receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you that you want us to come boldly before you at the throne of grace. Help us to hunger and thirst for Christ's righteousness in our lives. The righteousness that you purchased for us on the cross. So that we shall be fully satisfied. In Jesus' name. Amen.